Hello, I'm John Gonzalez. We're talking to you from True FM Online in Cloudy this afternoon, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, Jack. Hi, John. Nice to be here. I'm Jack Durora, and John and I are partners at the B Hall Law Group. That's B E H A L. We provide a variety of business, contract, real estate services, and we also, you know, John and I try cases when we need to. Jack, uh, today uh, we're going to move beyond our typical uh, legal subjects and uh, discuss uh, uh, an issue that is uh, recently uh, receiving a lot of attention and uh, the attention it deserves. Uh, women who get trapped in prostitution and the subject matter of trafficking. Yeah, we're lucky. We have with us today Hannah Estabrook. Hannah is a clinical counselor who's focus is mental health. So welcome, Hannah. So I was born and raised here in Columbus, Ohio. And um, as we were just chatting before we started recording, um, I left Columbus for about a decade and then returned, gosh, about eight years ago. And by then I had in my resume a master's in clinical counseling and was interested in getting involved here locally with the anti-trafficking community because I had done some of that work um, in San Diego where I lived previously. I know, how did I ever, why did I ever move back? <laughs> I, I, I did the same thing. You're wondering. I, oh, no, you did. Yeah, I was there twice. Wow, look at that. We've got that in common. Mm -hmm. So I pretty quickly got involved with um, just in my clinical work and in ways of volunteering with some of the anti-trafficking work that's happening here. And part of that too is that my clinical background has been primarily focused on um, not just human trafficking survivors, but generally survivors of trauma, specifically sexual trauma. I co-authored a book on the topic of healing from sexual abuse. So that's just kind of been what I've been marinated in <laughs> in my career. So that's kind of a little bit about my background. Well, I read that you are an active participant in Catch Court mm -hmm. and uh, in something called the Sanctuary Abbey. Yeah. Give us a little background on those two. Yeah, a couple things. So Catch Court is a specialized docket in the Franklin County Municipal Court. Similar to, we have other specialized dockets in Franklin County. We have Mental Health Court, a couple of drug courts, and also Military and Veterans Court. Catch Court, which stands for Changing Actions to Change Habits, is our prostitution and human trafficking specialized docket. So I sort of serve as like the clinical director or coordinator of that program. And, you know, my role there is to help assess that the women coming into the program are clinically eligible and appropriate. Also to make sure that we're being trauma-informed and connecting them with appropriate resources in the community and just engaging with them over a two-year period while they're in our program. So in other words, it's being involved in the program versus going to jail. Correct. A woman who takes a plea, um, pleads guilty to her charges and accepts as part of that plea jail days which get suspended and in lieu of, of treatment. And then they are on probation for that two-year period. And um, I think it's our friend Judge Paul Herbert that uh, initiated that is that of right of course the one and the only yes. yes is he the only judge that has that court in uh, Franklin County Municipal Court? Correct. So he was the brainchild. It started over 10 years ago now. And um, yeah, it's been him the whole time. So there are other, um, you know, again, thanks to his leadership, there are now other specialized dockets for this population across the state of Ohio. But this is the only one. I'm thinking. You know, the thing that always tickles me about that subject is that Judge Herbert, if I'm not mistaken, just decided to do this on his own. He didn't ask for permission. He didn't need a commission. He didn't need some committee to think about it. He just said, here's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it was like an experiment, right? It was like yeah. a pilot program, you know, just like, let's see. And I think that actually sort of highlight in some ways what 
our value for this population because at the time this was a population that we just kind of didn't do much with. We didn't know what to do with. Um, you know, Harvard a Harvard study suggested that women in prostitution recidivate at an 80% rate. So it's just oh this my. yeah, it's just this revolving door. And so I think part of it was like, well, we can't hurt. <laughs> we can't make it much worse. There's no downside to trying. Well, yeah. and did you say, so it's been around for over a decade now? It has. It has. Oh, wow. And so, you know, we're getting a lot of um, tension publicity now, yeah. but uh, Judge Herbert was doing this a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, when a woman gets into the program, mm -hmm. how long of a program is it? Or, you know, mm -hmm. what, do, what does that person have to do to graduate from the program? Yeah, it's a good question. So the program itself is, again, around two years, like any other specialized docket that's certified by the Ohio Supreme court. Um, so sometimes it could be a little less than two years, sometimes a little bit longer, depending on their need. But they are, they're in residential treatment. They come to court every single week for that time period. We try to make court fun though. So uh -huh. it's not the worst thing. We provide a meal at court. You know, it's it's a little bit more of like a family reunion meets treatment session meets court. It's kind of a bizarre experience. That's they, right. Those two <laughs> words usually don't go together, court and fun. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to experience it to, <laughs> to believe it, but it's true. Um, and so, and actually one week out of the month we take off. Instead of coming to court, we go and we have an outing. We do something fun together. So we'll go roller sk skating or ice skating or bowling or, you know, have a pool party or just, you know, something to kind of encourage. But the whole idea is to change actions and habit patterns and get these women on a whole new track. Yeah, it's about kind of going from that extrinsic or, you know, external motivation to actually, I, I want this for myself. I want treatment and recovery and healing and independence and autonomy. And we're all moving and hopefully moving in that direction with these women. And I'm going to guess that at the after successfully completing the program, mm -hmm. that woman can move to have that uh, guilty plea and judgment vacated. Vacated. Thank Correct. you. Correct. Yes, and that can be sealed. But also, thanks to the expansion of the human trafficking expungement law, um, women are, are actually able to get not just their prostitution-related charges, but you know sometimes along the way they pick up other charges while mm -hmm. they're involved in human trafficking, like drug possession charges or. Um, theft charges and really any of that can be expunged now. I, I assume that where there's prostitution, there's other crime. You got it. <laughs> Tell us also, because I read about this in the dispatch, the sanctuary. Collective. Collective. Thank uh -huh. you. Yeah, absolutely. What's that all about? So, yeah, that is a brand new <laughs> um, nonprofit. And I say brand new, and yet this is another one of those things, This maybe this is my version of my, my experiment, my pilot that I started a couple years ago along with a couple of my friends. Basically what was happening is I was serving on the board of an organization called Lower Lights Ministries mm. um, that has been serving on the west side of Columbus for a long, long time. It's a good group. It's a wonderful group, and it's been an honor to be a part of that organization. They have a building right on Sullivan Avenue, and for those maybe unfamiliar, Sullivan Avenue is one of the hot spots for prostitution in Columbus. And so I would sit in these meetings and see these women walk by, many of whom I actually knew from my position in the court, I just found myself really wanting to hang out with them. <laughs> and you know, I'm not one for board meetings, I guess that was what that <laughs> revealed. So we approached the CEO and we said, hey, you have this you know, perfectly placed space and building. Could we borrow it a couple hours a week? So two years ago, we launched this project called Sanctuary Night. Um, so it's just two hours a week. It's still going on. It's Monday nights. We open up that space for women to come in and 
they get a meal, they get a hygiene bag, you know, just basic products, mm -hmm. they get clothing. We have now partnered with Columbus Public Health, so they come once a month to offer some basic health care. Um, we're getting ready to partner with some a couple people from the Public Defender's Office who are going to help maybe get people some court dates who have warrants and get those warrants potentially set aside. So we're offering services that are really relevant and helpful for the women on the streets and we're really excited about it. And over the last few months, it just kind of became clear, we're really doing something wonderful here. It's really making a difference and we want to expand. So we filed for a 501c3, we bought a building and we're in the middle of a capital campaign to oh, rehab that wow, building and nice. ho hopefully open a full-time drop-in center. <laughs> on Sullivan Avenue? On Sullivan it, Avenue, yeah. that's All right. right. I, saw, I saw on, must have been the sanctuary website, mm -hmm. I saw an artist rendition yes beautiful now what is beautiful so what's what's the prize here what's it cost to make this happen <laughs> well you know it's a it's a great question we are we're trying to raise one hundred and fifty thousand um for for the rehab and we're not sure yet if we're under or overestimating but we think we're in the ballpark based on you know conversations with the architect and so this is your opportunity to ask for donations. If yeah. people wanted to donate, tell our listeners where sure. they would go. Oh, gosh, that's so kind. So SanctuaryNight.com, and there is a tab on that website that says Invest, and there are opportunities on that page to both give financially. It is Giving Tuesday as we're recording this. It is, <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's an opportunity to invest financially, but also if people want to volunteer or donate items, they can do it there. Good work. We wish yeah. you the best. Well, thank um, you. That's I can't imagine the need. And for our listeners, you know, the dispatch ran a series of articles about Sullivan Avenue. And the thing that's striking about it is Sullivan Avenue didn't just pop up yesterday. It's been there for years. Mm -hmm. But as with a number of things, it takes good reporting to bring it to the public's attention. Yeah. I imagine there's other areas of town, though, that mm -hmm. also have this problem. Correct. Are, are there any that stand out in your mind? Yeah, I think the obvious ones are Cleveland Avenue in Linden um, and Parsons Avenue on the south side. Um, those are kind of the two other major areas for prostitution. There are also parts of the east side, East Main, Livingston, that have mm -hmm. some street-based street prostitution. Could you uh, maybe spend a, a minute or two talking about how women get involved in prostitution in the first place? Yeah, or? absolutely. Um, so. I think one thing that's important for people to understand is that a very high percentage of women involved in prostitution have childhood trauma in their background. I say that because I actually think that's an important part of the grooming process. I think I think a trafficker comes along and sort of exploits that this is already a traumatized person. In fact, there's some of the academic literature refers to child sexual abuse as boot camp for prostitution. Uh, which I think is a really powerful way of thinking about it. In fact, a study that we did with just the catch court participants, um, gosh, maybe like three years ago, revealed about 95% of them had been victims of child sexual abuse. Um, so I, I just think people need to understand that, first of all. And so then I think what happens is that the child's you know, trauma, um, and particularly child sexual abuse, uh, and maybe even more specifically that which occurs from you know, a loved one, someone who's supposed to care 
about you, someone who's supposed to protect you, and instead they harm you. It does something to the to the brain, to the psyche that is so major that it makes sense that that would be an individual who would find themselves coping with drugs or alcohol. And then that is just the perfect cocktail, mm-hmm. um, no pun intended, for someone to come along and find someone who's both broken from trauma and also has developed a substance use disorder, and now that's a perfect recipe for me to, to exploit you. I read somewhere that um, this was disturbing. Girls between the ages of 12 and 18 are at the highest risk. Is that your experience? Um, you know, I'm always un- uncomfortable with the age of entry data because um, uh, I guess just to say my experience in, you know, I've worked with hundreds of women who've mm-hmm. been involved in prostitution. To me, the more common answers I hear are age of entry is usually late teens um, and, you know, kind of around that 20, age 20. Um, so, yeah, like 18 to 22 is most common okay. from what I've experienced. Sure. But yeah. I, I've seen also a lot of things that say that statistic. So. Well, it was to me, it was disturbing that it would be minors that are entering the, well, the line yeah. towards prostitution. Yes. So. Well, I think I've read that, too. But mm-hmm. I think what you're saying, Hannah, is at least in your experience, that's a smaller part of the problem. It's more it's mostly older adolescents. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's no question that our young people are at risk. So I don't want to miss that point Mm -hmm. because it is important. Um, And particularly with social media, you know, and just the increase of technology access, I I think the risks are, you know, if we really stop and think about it, it's it's overwhelming. Sure, and um, we talk about women in prostitution. Are men in prostitution also? Certainly. I think it's a little bit more underground. Mm. You know, we don't see a lot of men, for example, in the court system, we don't see a lot of men arrested for prostitution, except for if they're buying it. (laughs) Um, Sure. But, yeah, we don't see a lot of um, male prostitutes um, coming through Franklin County Court. Um, And that might be that they're coming through and we're not meeting them. But I think more often, because I'm always looking for those charges, they're not as likely to get arrested. They're not. So I don't know. Have you had any encounter with male prostitutes in Columbus? I have had one man who identified as uh, as man who reached out to us to ask for some resources, and we were able to help him. We've we've helped a number of trans women, mm-hmm. um, and have had a number of trans women in our program and are very successful. So we're we're super grateful for that. I got a off the wall question. Oh, I love it. Well, I just read. This is more toward the law enforcement aspect okay. of the issue. But I read in Sweden, it's not unlawful to sell sex, so the prostitutes never get arrested. It's unlawful to buy sex. Mm -hmm. And I think I read, this was a while back, that that's had a positive effect (laughs) in lowering it. Yeah. Have you read that? Any thoughts about that? Yes. So, yes. So that was a law that um, changed in 1999. And it's funny because someone just today sent me some information because now we have 20 years of looking at Mm -hmm. what do we really know now based Mm -hmm. on having this change for 20 years. And so I haven't actually had a chance to dig my hands into it. I'm really excited. My suspicion is that it's not been as successful as people had hoped, but certainly when you criminalize the buying of sex rather than the selling of sex, um, you see a decrease in demand in that area. But it just moves, you know. Ah. <laughs> so. Gee, funny that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good yeah. point. Do yeah. um, all of the women have traffickers that, that run you know, the, the business, so to speak? I would say that they all have 
somebody who is taking advantage of them or exploiting them. I don't know that they would use the language of trafficker, and I um, so I'm a little hesitant to use that language. I think my understanding of what trafficking is, I would say, yes, the majority of them do. But if you were to ask them, right. um, hey, is someone trafficking you? Then they would just be like, what are you talking about? I'm doing this on my own, you know? And really yeah. it's because the trafficker is so skilled, he has been able to get this woman to fall in love with him. So she views it as, I'm just working for my family. You okay. know, like I, the rest of us. I got a question. I, <laughs> okay. I, I have I have this notion of what trafficking looks like. Of course. Why don't you, if you can, define prostitution uh-huh. and define trafficking mm-hmm. independently, if you can? Yeah, it's great. Prostitution is, according to the Ohio Revised Code, is just engaging in sexual activity for hire. So that could be buying or selling, but that's that's the definition of prostitution. So it's really just looking at the behavior. Okay. Um, you know, first of all, I want to say that human trafficking is a much larger umbrella for what we're talking about, because obviously under human trafficking, we've also got labor trafficking, right. which is not my expertise, and we're not really talking about that today. So just to differentiate, that under that umbrella is the specific part of sex trafficking. And so there, it's the use of force, fraud, or coercion that compels someone to engage in sexual activity for hire. So in other words, if there are these elements that you have to prove in a court of law, if you're prosecuting your trafficker, force, fraud, or coercion for that behavior behavior of prostitution then it might be viewed as human trafficking. I have this notion, and of course, my lack of street smarts comes out very apparent in what I'm about to say, but I have this notion that trafficking actually involves moving women around. But I think what you're saying is if there's fraud, force, or coercion, even in a neighborhood, mm-hmm. that could be trafficking. Mm-hmm. Am I right? You are, and I really appreciate what you're saying. I mean, I thought that way at one point. In fact, the reason I first got involved with anti-trafficking is because I lived in San Diego, and in my mind, oh, I'm on the border of Mexico, so I'll get involved in this work because people, because I assumed you had to cross like a, even a country border. Sure. <laughs> of course, of all the women I worked with in San Diego, only one of them was trafficked from Mexico. You know, all the other women were just, were domestically trafficked. And so I learned a lot through that experience. And I, I'm guessing a lot of people have that, um, have that view. And, and it's easy for us to think about the movie Taken or, mm-hmm. you know, these sort of dramatic pictures of someone being kidnapped in a van and literally like trapped in a cage or something or had a gun to their head. But that's not the most common story. The more common story is things like, again, those examples of fraud, which is just a false promise, right? So that could be the false promise of love and affection and marriage. That could be just a trafficker who uses, you know, sort of romance as a grooming tactic. It could be a woman who gets a job at a dance club where she's told all you have to do is dance all you have to do is take your top off you know and before you know it she's worked there a couple weeks and she learns that really if she wants to make money she's gonna have to turn tricks well that's you know it's kind of fraud that we've got trafficking there you've used an important word several times grooming yes talk about that that's yeah. that's we're not talking about combing the dog here it's <laughs> true. we're not talking about grooming yeah. physically it's much more serious correct so grooming I mean in the language of just to train someone for a particular purpose so we often use that you know I think about it in the context of like someone's taking over for my job you know I might groom them for, mm-hmm. for my job you know but in in this context, it's really that idea of building trust with somebody through really whatever means it takes. You know, that could be giving the person just enough, giving affection, giving shelter, giving food, giving drugs, giving time. I mean, some of these women on the streets will say things like, you know, he takes good care of me. You know, I get to I don't have to pay to, to sleep on his on his floor. 
Um, I don't have to pay to take a shower in his house. He, he like lets me take, you know, take a rest when I need it. And that's their definition of like, you know, a good man out there. <laughs> so that's kind of what I mean by grooming. Hannah, how does Columbus compare to other cities, if you know? I mean, mm-hmm. do you have statistics? Yeah. I think, you know, obviously with trafficking, it's really difficult to know because it's such an underground, you know, like any other criminal activity. What I will say is also that Columbus is doing a good job at addressing and finding it. So we might have higher statistics, but that might also just because we have higher attention. So until recently, you know, there have been some issues with the Columbus police um, and the the vice unit was down for a year. So we didn't have anyone arresting for street-based prostitution. And to be clear, not that arrest for street-based prostitution is the only thing to look at when we're talking about the scope of of sex trafficking in Columbus. But I will say that before that year, you know, there was an average of about a thousand to a 1500 prostitution related arrests per year in Franklin County, just to kind of give people a general idea. So are there other resources uh, other than um, obviously after a um, arrest, we've we've got the uh, catch court, we've got your sanctuary. Um, What else can somebody do if they know or they're a part of Mm -hmm. trafficking? Yeah. So first of all, there's a national hotline. Everyone should put into their phone and that's 888-3737-888. That's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. When you are in Columbus and you call that line, it will get rerouted to the Salvation Army office here locally. Salvation Army has kind of been the hub for a lot of good anti-trafficking work in Columbus for a long time. Um, So they run the hotline as one of the things that they do. They also provide comprehensive case management to women who are involved in in trafficking as well. 888-3737-888. So are callers, they can be anonymous, I assume? You can be anonymous, Mm -hmm. yeah. So what else can people do to help you, your organization, or woman in need? Yeah, so I mean, I think using that hotline when you see something that looks like trafficking is a great idea. I say that because I get a lot of people asking, hey, I I saw this woman in a restaurant or in a hotel lobby, and they'll describe something that sounds like it could be trafficking. It also could not be trafficking, Mm -hmm, you know? And so I think instead of approaching the person, because certainly if it is trafficking, you could be not putting not only yourself, but that, that young person or that young woman at risk. So it's better to, you know, call those things in and try to just give as much detailed information as you can. That's also the number to use for like law enforcement tips so anyway it will allow you know sort of the experts or the professionals to respond in those situations but people I always say like you know what do you have to give you know for some people it's their money for some people it's their time for some people it's their connections or resources I find you know I get I mean honestly right now with the sanctuary collective I'm getting you know, messages, calls from people all the time saying mm-hmm. like, I'm in school to learn cosmetology. Can I come like do people's hair at your drop-in center? Oh, of course, you wonderful. know, and that's right. the thing that she has to offer, right? So it's it's really probably whatever whatever the thing is you have to offer, we could probably plug you into the anti-trafficking community. I want to go back <laughs> to this issue of when you think you spot something, because okay. my wife and I were talking about this. So here's the <laughs> yeah. scenario. Okay. You're at a Waffle House. Uh-huh. There's a booth, and in the seat closest to the wall or the window mm-hmm. is a young woman who appears to be very subdued, mm-hmm. very quiet, not quite right. And next to her is an unsavory character. I'll let the audience figure out whatever that means. And across the table is another unsavory mm-hmm. character, and they're doing all the talking. And if you had to wager, you'd wager that she was being trafficked. Mm-hmm. So is your best recourse 
to dial that phone number or is there something else you would suggest? You know, it's interesting because I, I definitely don't recommend interfering. Mm-hmm. Again, I just think it's too much of a, of a safety risk for you and for her. Okay. Um, so I do recommend using that phone number. I do think like there are businesses who can maybe start to think creatively. You know, there's that, I can't even think of the specifics now, but I've heard about like a code word or something that a woman can say to like a bartender if she is has been sexually assaulted in the bar or if she you know there's something going on where she's uncomfortable so in some ways i'd love to see businesses restaurants nail salons you know some of the hotels some of those common businesses where we know there are victims of human trafficking that they interact with sort of like a a greater response that would put less of the responsibility on you as an observer and a consumer at that restaurant and more of a responsibility on the restaurant itself well let me get a little more specific here what you're what you're saying i want Mm -hmm. to be clear is you're advocating the use of that phone number i am all right so it's 11 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. my wife and i are at waffle house in reality my wife and i are in la la land sleeping at 11 o'clock at night right Uh-huh. But we make the phone call. Is somebody going to show up? No. Okay. So, Not likely. So what? So what? What? Ha, what's the best result from calling that phone number? I would say in that situation, it would probably be um, a law enforcement tip. So the person, you know, again, as many details as you can provide. Oh, the, am I going to speak with a recording or a live person? A live person. Okay. Now, yep. What's that live person going to do? Fill out a form with as much information as you can give, okay. and then if it's that, the law enforcement tips here in Columbus will go to the human trafficking task force. And so here's the thing, you don't know what cases they're working, you know, at any given time, because those cases take a while to build. It could be that there's a, a law enforcement team that's building a case on, you know, these two unsavory guys that you saw at Waffle House, who they already know hang out in that general area or neighborhood. And so your description meets their description. And so that might be useful to them on some level. You know, we don't we don't always know. That's the thing with law enforcement tips is we don't know what what's already happening and what okay. we are observing and if it's useful. So the best thing to do is just give as much information as we can. The notions we have of many aspects of life, regrettably, are created by what we see on TV and the movies. Mm-hmm. So in terms of prostitution, you know, we hear about Charlie Sheen, expensive hotels, Pretty woman. Pretty woman. <laughs> right. Let's not forget. Yeah, very pretty woman. Uh-huh. Uh, no, no beating, no drugs, no yeah. nothing. Can you tell us what the life of a prostitute on mm. Sul- a day in the life of a woman on Sullivan Avenue yeah. looks like? I can sure try. And thank you so much for asking that question. Yeah, and I think part of just to say briefly the difference or one important differentiation is indoor versus outdoor prostitution. So there are sort of versions, not quite as glamorous, but at least a little bit of a step up in terms of creature comforts um, for women involved in indoor prostitution, meaning they're working out of hotels or, you know, online advertisements, that kind of thing. But for a woman who's walking on a street like Sullivan Avenue, she, she is waking up and she's very immediately (laughs) aware that if she doesn't get drugs soon, she's going to be dope sick. The experience of withdrawal from opiates is, which is the majority of what people are on, on the West side, you know? And are you saying, by inference, Mm -hmm. are the majority of these women? A hundred percent. They're all addicted. If there's a woman who's walking, engaging in prostitution on Sullivan Avenue, I would pretty much bet my life that she is addicted to substances. <laughs> and so the experience of withdrawal from opiates is is you feel like you're dying. I mean, it is so horrific. You just, 
you know, you, you have that desperation of being willing to do pretty much whatever it takes to not feel like you're dying. So I think that's actually an important thing to say only because I don't want people to think, oh, she's just out there feeding her habit. I get so tired of hearing that phrase. She just wants to be high all the time. I don't know that they're using enough drugs to be high anymore. Some of them might be, but the majority of them are just trying to use enough drugs just to feel normal, just to be well. And so they're motivated um, from early in the morning to, to work, to make money. Um, to be able to have access to their drugs. And so they affectionately refer to that early morning, like five to 7 a.m. as pervert hour. Sorry, just saying, that's their language because very often you have men who are on their way to the, like their downtown jobs and you know, via Sullivan Avenue. And so they're able to make decent money in the morning before yours and my workday gets started. So I think it's also important for people to understand something that we probably, I don't know if this is going to be easy to, to, to describe, but there's there's a, an adrenaline rush of jumping in and out of or getting in and out of cars all day, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 times a day. I mean, if, if I'm getting into a car of a stranger, you know, you can just imagine, right? The amount of anxiety, the amount of adrenaline, the amount of fear maybe that's mm -hmm. I don't I mean I hear the women say all the time I don't know if this car is going to in, have a safe person in it I don't know if this is the last car I'm gonna jump into I, I just don't know so they're constantly taking these risks throughout their day they don't usually eat that much you could see some of their feet you would know that they're walking on the all day with some of the worst you know footwear um, on a good day as I mentioned earlier they might be able to you know take get some rest or take a shower um, but those are those things are not guaranteed. So these are women who could go days without sleeping, you know, days without a shower, days without eating, you know, weeks and months without addressing very important healthcare issues. So it's uh, not it's not a very it's not Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman. I'll tell you that. One last thing is the reality that some people believe that if there's been money exchanged, that means that person is property and I can do whatever I want. And that's not true. <laughs> if there's an exchange of money and you've agreed to one particular, and I always try to communicate this to the women on the street, if you agree to one particular sex act, that doesn't mean you've agreed to the whole menu. And so these are women who are getting raped regularly. And again, some people would say that's impossible. They're prostitutes. It's very possible and it happens on a daily basis. I saw a woman last night, bright purple bruises under her eyes. Her jaw was looked like it had was maybe broken, but you know, super bruised up and um, you know, scratches and just her, her face was destroyed. And you're telling me that those women want to be out there? There's no way. How does that tie into unwanted pregnancies or uh, you know, uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, yeah. I gotta imagine the, the whole thing, right? The whole thing. And that's really why we're, we're partnering with Columbus Public Health because we, we certainly also see it as a benefit to the community to hopefully um, decrease the spread of um, sexually transmitted diseases and also to, you know, decrease unwanted pregnancies. These are not women who are in situations where their bodies are even available for a viable pregnancy. It's hard just to listen to this. I know. Um, but it's important to listen to it, it for goodness sake. Yeah. But I just can't imagine starting at five to seven in the morning and jumping into maybe 20 cars in a day mm -hmm. 
and I, I, I don't think most people really think about that fright factor. That's right. While jumping into a strange car. Let me shift gears just a little. Some years sure. back, I heard a woman speak. Her name was Teresa Flores. Mm -hmm. You know her story. I do. For the benefit of our audience, Teresa Flores was seduced, trapped, coerced, however you want to put it, into trafficking as a high school mm -hmm. student. And she came from a middle class background. Mm -hmm. So she had to kind of step out of the neighborhood boundary to get into this pickle. But it was terrible. Now, she actually was being physically trafficked to right. different places. Right. But here's my point. Do you see that kind of thing that is high school girls getting lured into traffic, into this situation? I definitely see it. And I think probably the most common response to our, one of the questions we ask women is, you know, who, who first exposed you to sex work? You know, who kind of invited you into this on some level? And often with the younger folks, it's, it's their peers. So it's like, once you get one, then that person almost becomes like a recruiter because that one has the latest cell phone and her nails are always done and you know what I mean there's the there are the benefits of the lifestyle which high schoolers are definitely you know susceptible to and drawn to um, so that's that's common and I also think with the particularly with the opiate crisis you know what we've seen is that <laughs> substance use disorder is an issue in the suburbs you know just as much as it is in urban areas right I want to point out to our listeners how significant the fear factor is or the control issue because I, I would imagine most people who are miles away from this subject like I am mm -hmm. think well how can you control a woman but Teresa's case is important because mm -hmm. this man who raped her and shamed her and coerced her had control over her. and you know if she had just gone to her dad and said, Dad, here's what's happening, the story would have ended. Mm -hmm. But she was so afraid, she was so traumatized in control, she couldn't do that. That's hard to, for people to understand, but it's a reality. It is a reality, and I think along with the fear is a tremendous amount of shame, mm. particularly if someone has been experiencing some kind of trauma or sexual trauma from a young age. There becomes this identity, this sense of, man, I'm really broken. What's wrong with me that this keeps happening to me? Yeah, so I think even, yeah, in the example that you're offering, there is fear, but there is also, you know, this idea gets implanted even sometimes by sexual perpetrators or traffickers that, you know, you're making me do this. You're bringing this upon yourself. And we actually internalize those messages um, as victims. And so that's a lot to overcome for anybody. The thought of some woman I don't know mm -hmm. getting into my car in the middle of the night in the middle of Sullivan Avenue is not exactly an enticing proposition to me. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> so help me understand, tell me about the men who are getting involved. What's up with them? That's a great question. What is up with them? I'm, this is not sort of my expertise, but I'll say a couple things. And, and one is that recently there were some folks that looked at the demographic data of the men who came through the Franklin County John School. You know, men have an opportunity to go through that school, I think only first time offenders. And they fill out some paperwork, of course. And so some of the things that have been observed is that the demographics of the men who've gone through John School pretty much line up with the demographics of Columbus, Ohio. So whatever in your mind, you know, that whatever demographic you're kind of imagining or you might, you know, be bent to sort of, you know, it's probably skewed this way. It actually just matches 
the demographics of our community, which I think just suggests that it could be any man, right? Um, and then the other things that we've learned from looking at that data is that when men were sort of responded to, you know, why? Why did I buy sex? Some of the most common answers are things like having marital problems, depression, loneliness, you know, and so really what you've got are a number of men who are going through some hard things and who haven't figured out how to cope with or address those things in a productive way in their lives. Isn't that interesting? It really is. But what's really stunning is, well, I shouldn't say it's really stunning, but in terms of education or income, it's across the board. Correct. But the commonality are those psychological factors going on. Yeah. Or think, stress factors. I what think it, so. I think so for the most part. But, you know, that makes me curious about, I'm a woman, I identify as a woman, <laughs> you know, I use she, her, hers pronouns, you know, but it makes me wonder about the cultural norms, you know, for men around being able to talk about things like loneliness, being able to talk about things like having problems in our marriages. And, you know, I mean, I talk to my girlfriends all the time about that stuff, yeah. you know, so it, and I, and I'm normed into that, you know, the cultural norms for women, are, it's a little bit more acceptable for us. So it's just, it is something I'm curious about. John yeah. Chaykin These is- These two men are looking right. at each other like, what? <laughs> We don't talk about that. Johnson. I'm a counselor. I'm here to listen to all of your problems. Yeah, I wish yeah, I. Could. You, don't, you don't know mail code. It's like, hey, you know, mm -hmm. what happened with the Browns this weekend? Is you know, I'm having not, issues. Not going there. <laughs> well, I, th you know, we're chuckling in good fun, oh, yeah. but uh -huh. I, I think you're. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. yeah, that's that. I never thought of that. That's a great thing for us to ponder as men. Look, I understand there's a big event January 9. Yeah. Talk about that. Sure. So we are so lucky with our Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost has, you know, as a priority for him addressing human trafficking. And I'm thrilled with a lot of the work that you know, he's done since since being elected already. And I think one of the things that he and his team thought to do was putting on, you know, this summit. So that's what's happening on January 9th at the convention center. Um, so they are, you know, putting together several different like workshops or tracks for folks who are interested in learning more or getting involved. You know, several people from his office have reached out to us at, at Catch. Um, you know, so we'll we'll definitely be getting the word out about obviously some of the good work that Judge Herbert started and that we're continuing to do. And I think it's wonderful. Any attention that we can bring to the larger community on, on this issue, I think is is helpful. So I really appreciate that they're offering. And it. I noticed for anybody who wants to attend, it's an all day event. Mm -hmm. So if you go to Ohio.gov, then look for, <laughs> for Yoast. There you go. And you'll find it pretty quickly. That's great. I want to thank you. Uh, for spending time yeah. with us this year. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our audience about your work? Oh, I think they've heard enough from me. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. It's been wonderful. Oh, man. Uh, Hannah, thank you for your dedication. It's uh, it's really impressive. Well, I really, you know, I stand on the backs of a lot of people who've been doing a lot of good work for many years. So I'm. I, it's a privilege to be able to get to do what I do. And um, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it with you guys. Well, we're delighted. We'll get the to, word out. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. By the way, hold on, one more thing. Is okay. there anything in particular particular that maybe lawyers can do for you? Do you have any need for that? You know, it's interesting. Um, our women have a lot of legal matters, a lot of legal needs, but most of most of the time we are able to refer them successfully to an organization called Advocating Opportunity. So I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but that's another good one for your uh, lawyer friends <laughs> to, to look up um, and you might want to research, but they offer free legal services for human trafficking survivors. You know, obviously the women in our 
docket have like public defenders to represent them in their criminal matters, but Advocating Opportunity has been able to help with the expungements and with custody issues and you know any number of, of issues. And so that's typically our route, though they are busy. So. Well, so lawyers out there, if you're not already doing something for legal aid, here's another opportunity, advocating opportunity. opportunity. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Thanks so much. Hannah, it's been a pleasure. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And we'll be back next month, I think, with a guest speaker from the Ohio State Supreme Court. So long, Columbus.